This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. We'll take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we are going to bridge the gap this morning from Psalm 23, where we have been for, I think, 13 sermons on Psalm 23. I would have never imagined there would be that many. And uh, we're going to bridge that to Matthew 9, and we're going to look at those last few verses, verses 35 through verses 38, in just a moment. I'm really grateful that the Lord had us in Psalm 23 uh, over the last few weeks. I would say the thing I've heard the most from you as you've emailed and written cards is just how grateful you've been and how God has ministered to you from Psalm 23. And I would say the same thing. I hadn't planned to preach it uh, just at the beginning of all of this. It began to resonate with me. And I really wanted to make sure that in this moment that none of us will ever forget, a moment that our children will always remember, I wanted us to have some spiritual marker. You know the way in which you turn on the radio and you hear a song and it reminds you of a certain moment in your life? It takes you back sometimes to good places, sometimes to bad places. But our lives are filled with these markers and the Old Testament shows us many ways in which we have monuments or markers to remember a moment. My prayer is that Psalm 23 would be that kind of monument and marker to us. That every time for the rest of your life you go back and look at this passage, you would be reminded of the way in which God sustained us in this time. But even more than that, what I wanted Psalm 23 to be is a consistent reminder, listen to me, of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ no matter the circumstance. That no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, Jesus is enough. And every single line of Psalm 23 is continuing to declare that truth to us. Whatever you're going through, whatever the circumstance, Jesus is sufficient. He's enough for us. And that would have been a great place for an amen, because that's true. Jesus is enough for us, amen? Amen. amen. <laughs> it's going to be a long journey back. Um, of course, you weren't that great at amening before, let's be honest. Let's just, this is a new day here, all right? This is post-pandemic church, and we're going to be amening better, all right? Uh, but I just, I love the idea that through all the valleys and the ups and the downs, that every single time Jesus is there and he's enough, and he's not just there, he's the one that's leading us in this path of righteousness. But in the midst of all of that encouragement and hope that we've received from Psalm 23, over the last couple of weeks, I think particularly based upon everything that is going on in the nation, God has been stirring up something different in me from Psalm 23 that I wasn't expecting, something that actually is not in Psalm 23, but something that pertains to Psalm 23, and it is this. It is the fact that God is opening my eyes a little bit more to the realization of what it's like for the billions of people around us who don't have a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. And so at the same time, we come to Psalm 23 and find ourselves so encouraged and so blessed and so motivated and so filled with hope and joy. We must also leave Psalm 23 allowing ourselves to be brokenhearted over the masses of people that we're seeing all around us who are sheep without a shepherd. Now let me just take a moment to remind you of some important truths of Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a picture of life with Jesus. It is a prophetic psalm. It is a messianic psalm, meaning it is pointing us forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. 
And if you've ever wondered if the location of chapters and books matter, then the answer is absolutely they matter. The God who oversaw the writing of every word of scripture, we know that it is inspired, it is inerrant, it is without error, is also the God that organized the Bible and the location of everything in the Bible matters because there is meaning in that. Just like Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is in the middle of three Psalms that point us forward to Jesus. Remember this? Psalm 22 is pointing us forward to the first coming of Jesus Christ when he would be the suffering servant. It is Psalm 22. We hear the phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which Jesus quoted on the cross. And then in Psalm 24, it is pointing us forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ, where he, as the king of glory, will come through the gates and establish his kingdom on earth. The first coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, and here we are living right between those two. And between those two is Psalm 23, a roadmap for us, a guide for us a picture for us, a paradigm for us of what it looks like for us to navigate life with Jesus as our leader, as our Lord, in between these two moments, in Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And everything in Psalm 23 is doing that. It is pointing us to life with Jesus, life with Jesus as the center, as our guide, leading us in the paths of righteousness. Now, It's also a really good reminder, listen church, that you can't accept the Jesus of Psalm 22 and the Jesus of Psalm 24 and skip the Jesus of Psalm 23. How many times do people try to do this? Well, I wanna trust Jesus as my savior and I wanna be with him for eternity. I just plan to ignore him in between the moment I make this decision and get to heaven. You see, Psalm 22 through 24 show us But that's not the way it works. That if you have come to the place in your life where you have acknowledged your sin and your need for a savior and you received Jesus' death as the payment for your sins and now have the hope of eternal life, those who have done that will not only believe that Jesus is the truth and the life, they will also believe that Jesus is the way and they will follow him. And so it is, we receive him as savior, Psalm 22. We await his second coming, But in the meantime, we walk with him moment by moment, day by day, and we learn how to do this more. And one of, I think, the really positive things about the situation we've been in as a nation is teaching us how to think like Christians in the midst of various circumstances, how to see Jesus in the middle of everything that we're going through. And certainly there is no circumstance in which Jesus does not have something to say. Psalm 23 tells us a lot of those things that Jesus has to say. I'm not sure there is any moment that I have ever been through in which I have come to understand more of why Jesus chose the illustration of sheep and shepherd to communicate our relationship with him. There's a lot of things he could have done. There's a lot of ways he could have painted this picture. And I think I said to you a few weeks ago, when I envisioned myself, I think of myself as a lion or an eagle. And you're saying, well, of course you do, Pastor Josh. That's obvious. But when the Lord thinks of me, he seems to think that the best animal to describe me is a sheep. And it's not just me, it's you. So Jesus, wanting us to understand ourselves, shows us as fearful and stubborn, helpless, wandering people who are easily led astray. 
Listen to this. Do I need to give you illustrations of masses of group of people who are easily led astray and appear to be sheep without a shepherd? Is there any place that you have seen lately, any place, I just want you to imagine any place in which you have seen masses of wandering, fearful, confused, easily led astray groups of people. If you've seen anything like that, would you raise your hand so I know you're with me this morning? I don't think I need to spend a lot of time illustrating to you the fact that people are easily led astray. That people can say anything and large groups of people will follow them in that way. And another person can say another thing and masses of people will follow them this way. It is extremely evident in the moment in which we're living that people are more like sheep than they are anything else. And so God, knowing this, has sent Jesus Christ not only to save us, but to shepherd us. Not only to forgive us of our sins, but to give us the ability with the very mind of Christ discerning the will of God of Christ, Romans chapter 12, he has given us a shepherd who will allow us moment by moment to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is best, and what is Christian and what is not. So as we study Psalm 23, what should happen is we should be overwhelmed by the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us and knows us and has promised that he would not only shepherd us through this life but lead us safely home. I can't imagine better news for us at this moment than the news of Psalm 23. It is really, really good news. But as I said, this moment should also be a reminder to us that those who follow Jesus Christ in the path of righteousness should also embrace the heart of Jesus Christ that looks out at the world of sheep around us and allows his heart to break because he sees beyond the surface and sees them as they really are. It's exactly what happened at the end of Matthew 9, a perfect conclusion to our series on Psalm 23. If you're there at the end of Matthew 9, say amen. Listen to this, starting in verse 35 of Matthew 9. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he felt, he, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, look at verse 35. I love verse 35 because it's a really great picture of the everyday ministry of Jesus Christ. No massive programs, no big initiatives. What did Jesus do? He went from city to city, village to village, loving people, ministering to people, and declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said this, he went teaching, proclaiming, and healing every disease and every affliction. And that healing was a sign of the coming of the kingdom. It was a picture that the one who was preaching was in fact the king. So they would know that they should listen to him, that he was the promised anointed one because of his healing ministry. And every single place Jesus went, he ministered to individual people, looking at them, making them understand their value to God, touching them, healing them, loving on them, and sharing with them the truth of the gospel. One of the most 
I think difficult things for a pastor, some of you who have been on church staffs may know this, is the pressure you often feel to have some big new vision every year. But I'm not much of a new vision kind of guy, I'm more of an old vision kind of guy. I tend to think that the way that we advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ is the way people have always advanced the kingdom of Christ, that's one person at a time. That those old paths are good enough for today that there has never been a new way to do this, that every one of us leave this place, we look at people, we love people, we don't touch them right now, but we can later, we get close to people, and we communicate to them by the way in which we treat them, that they are created in the image of God, they matter to God, they're valuable to God, and by communicating that, we open a door to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has always been the way that the kingdom advances and will always be the way the old vision is good enough for me. This is what Jesus did. He just loved on people and shared the gospel. And Matthew 9 is a great kind of picture of the kind of people Jesus ministered to. I mean, just look at, at the beginning of the chapter. The first person he comes in contact with in Matthew 9 is a paralytic who can't walk and he's carried on a cot to Jesus in order to heal him. He goes from there and he sees a tax collector who's a criminal, he's a thief. He swindles his own people out of money because he has sided with the Romans who are oppressing the Jews. He's a traitor. All he loves is himself and money, and he's one that Jesus walks by, looks specifically at him, and says, I want you to come and follow me. It tells us next in verse 18 that Jesus has a man approach him who is weeping and had broken. Why? Because his little daughter had just died, and Jesus listens to the man, follows the man to the house in order to raise the daughter back to life, and on the way is grabbed a hold of by a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, The book of Mark tells us that she had spent all of her money trying to get cures and no one could help her. Her last resort was to go grab onto Jesus and hope to help. And you know what Jesus did? He stopped and had a conversation with her. It tells us after that there are two blind men that are crying out for Jesus. Jesus stops and listens to them. In verse 32, it says that as Jesus was going, there was a demon-oppressed mute man. He couldn't talk, but he did not have a physical disability. He had a demonic spirit which means a doctor could not fix him, only Jesus could fix him. No matter how many doctors he went to to fix his problem of being mute, the only way he was gonna be healed is if the Lord came and healed him, and he did. So in just one chapter, you get a picture of the kind of people that Jesus was meeting and how he was ministering to him day after day as he healed them, touched them, loved on them, and presented the gospel to them. Now, as Jesus was doing this, As he was going throughout the cities and villages, something happened to him. He began to see something and he began to feel something. It's right here in verses 36 and 37. He began to, first of all, see. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds. Now, we know what it's like to see crowds. We've seen examples of seeing crowds. Even I'm looking out at a crowd right now. Now, What is telling about where we are in a relationship with Jesus is what we see when we see a crowd. It's so easy to be caught up with the externals about what they're trying to protest against or for or whatever else, but when Jesus saw the crowds, he saw something different. Look at what it says. It says, he saw them as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed. The word there actually means to be mangled, 
It is this idea of a sheep who has been wandering on their own. They've been constantly attacked by predators. And by the time someone gets to them, they're barely alive because they've been constantly attacked by those coming after them who don't love them and don't care about them. They were not only harassed, they were helpless. I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that one of the problems with sheep is if they fall over and roll on their back, they're so top heavy that they can't get themselves back over again. It's funny, actually, if you think about it. And you think about a sheep on its back and it's moving its legs, but it can't get over. So it has to have a shepherd to come and to pull it back over. Jesus says when he looks at the multitudes, he sees them like that. They're on their back. They're unable to get back over. They're helpless. They're harassed like sheep without a shepherd. He looked at them as people who were being led astray, who were being taken advantage of, who have no protection and no leadership. And not only did he see them, he felt for them. Look what it says. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. That word compassion is a deep emotional response. It goes beyond just an awareness of something to a physical response to it. You know what that's like. You know what it's like to be so brokenhearted that you're sick to your stomach? You know what it's like to be so grieving over something that physically you have symptoms that are associated with what you're thinking or feeling. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. Something came over him where in a gut-wrenching way, he was absolutely broken over the masses of people he were seeing. They thought they were fine. They didn't understand what was going on, but Jesus saw beyond the surface, beyond the oppression, beyond the possession, beyond the disabilities, and he saw into their hearts They were just harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What's amazing to me is that Jesus, constantly being around people, was not callous towards them. He wasn't hardened toward them. He didn't feel condemnation toward them. He felt broken for them. I'm amazed that somehow in the midst of all that Jesus saw and all that Jesus knew, he protected himself against being jaded or cynical about all the masses he saw. What happened to him when he saw the masses is his heart broke. He felt compassion for them. Verse 37 and 38 tell us he saw and felt something else. So after feeling this way in verse 37, he sees his disciples. So now he looks at his disciples, he turns to them, and he says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. He switches metaphors on us, but you know what he's saying. What he's saying is, here's masses of people in desperate need for a shepherd. They're sheep without a shepherd, but yet there's no one to show them the shepherd. There's this massive harvest and very few little workers. I mean, just think about it. Jesus is seeing the multitudes and he turns to 12 people. And he says, look at this, all of these people, Jesus maybe touched a tenth of them. Thousands of people Jesus didn't touch that Jesus didn't have a personal conversation with. He's saying, there's all these people left that are coming to me, but I need more laborers. He sees his disciples. He sees the multitudes. And then he says this, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So he was not only broken by the multitudes, he was broken by the fact that there wasn't enough people to get the good news to the multitudes. As Jesus went place to place, he was seeing things and he was feeling things. He saw the multitudes and felt compassion over them. Now, as I think about what Jesus saw and what he experienced, it reminds us that our day today is not much different than it was in Jesus' day. Everywhere we look, we see masses of people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Masses 
of people. And there's so much going on in this moment. It, it's, I, it's unbelievable. But I think most of us are aware that there's a lot of demonic things going on in this moment. There's so much demonic activity behind everything that is happening right now. You can't even imagine church being disrupted for 16 weeks and there not being some demonic activity in that. That there is deeply rooted demonic activity in all of this. But one of the most subtle things the enemy is doing right now, extremely subtle, is through all of the media and everything else we're filling our minds with, he is getting us to disdain other people who aren't like us. Everything in the media is us against them, isn't it? Everything. So this news network hates this group of people. This news network hates this group of people. And depending on the group you like or don't like is the news you listen to. But when you're listening to that news, what you don't realize is that you're constantly being fed what is already natural to you. What is natural to you and me is to be calloused and unconcerned. To instead of just having good, normal, right dialogue, instead, we're being pitted against one another. So you have Republicans versus Democrats and police versus black and mask versus no mask. Those are the craziest people. You know this is a thing, right? I mean, I can show you all the emails I got this week from mask and no mask people. There's these massive groups. And, and honestly, they don't like each other very much. The mask people really don't like the no mask people. And the no mask people don't like the mask people. This is just like a silly example of how everything in our culture is pitting each other against one another. And the reality is if we're not careful, we're gonna look at the multitudes and we're gonna look at those who are protesting the socialists, the anarchists, the anti-police, the anti-government, and instead of allowing our heart to break for them, we're going to actually disdain them. As I've been thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, I've been watching my own heart. As I turn on the news or I turn on the television, as I look at social media, whatever it is, and just checking my heart, how am I feeling about these people? Because here's the thing. We love to quote Psalm 139. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Does that just count for us or does it count for them? Are we the only ones in this room fearfully and wonderfully made, beloved by God, created by God, special in the sight of God? Did Jesus just die for us or did he die for them? Does he just love us or does he love them? How easy is it for us a church to say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made but not to see every other person made in the image of God, created by God, loved by God, whom Jesus died to save. And on a weekend like this, I just wonder if sometimes I love America much more than I love Americans. What good is it to love America if we don't love Americans? The virtue is in do we love the people that God has placed around us no matter who they are because every one of them is made in the image of God and the problem with them is simply this, they're just sheep who do not have a shepherd. Which means this, the answer for them is not found in a political party. Do we need to vote? Absolutely. Do we need to put people in office who believe in religious liberty? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, the hope will never be in any political party because what the people need is a shepherd and Jesus Christ alone can be it. So what do we do? We do what Jesus did. We get out among the people. 
And instead of sitting at a distance and disdaining them, we get close to them and we through conversation realize they're just broken people, just like we're broken people. The only difference is we have submitted ourselves humbly to a shepherd who is leading us. And if it wasn't for the grace of God revealing that to us, we would be no different in any way from any of them. There's no difference except the grace of God that we sang about a moment ago. No difference. We're all broken people searching for some identity, something to grab onto. While we have grabbed onto Jesus Christ, thousands of others are grabbing onto other things and it's always going to disappoint them. They will never be satisfied so they'll grab something else and something else and something else because no one has stopped to tell them that what you're searching for is Jesus Christ. So God, help us to leave Psalm 23 feeling broken over those who are wandering sheep who do not have a shepherd to lead them. Jesus concludes it by saying this, verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now what I've realized is this, is that prayer not only has the ability to move the Lord, it has the ability to move us. So if I'm getting on my knees every morning, I'm saying, Lord, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, send out labors. If I'm faithful to pray that, at some point, I'm gonna realize it's really dumb to pray that if I'm not one of them. At some point, it may take a while, but at some point, I'm gonna wake up to the realization, I can't keep praying this without being a laborer. And so sometimes we step out in obedience to start praying and in the midst of praying, God starts changing our heart, which I think is exactly what would happen here. If every day we just said, God, Pray that labors would come. God, more labors, more labors. At some point, the Lord would knock on our door's heart and say, well, what about you? You're going home, you're going to work, you're going to church, but when is the last time you've shared the gospel? You know, a thought the Lord gave me this morning is this, is that we do celebrate what God has done in our nation. We live in an incredible place and men and women have sacrificed that we're able to live in this place. But listen, what good is the freedom that men and women have died to give us if we're not using it by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why does it matter? What good is it? In China today, there will be people Thousands of people gathering in churches. I've been to them. The government knows they're there. Sometimes they'll meet in groups of two or 300. I've been to those churches. It's not that they aren't able to gather like that. They do. What they're unable to do is walk out on the street, stand in a corner, and tell people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. What they can't do is knock on their neighbor's door and say, can you come over and I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you? The freedom that God has given us allows us to be able to talk about Jesus anywhere, at any time, in any place, to anybody. So what good is it if we have it, but we're not using it? So church, let's rejoice in the goodness of God. Let, let's, let's, let's come like this and let's sing and let's praise the Lord that we have been recipients of God's grace and kindness and let's rejoice in the goodness of God and then allow us to walk out of this place, see the multitudes and let our hearts break. The multitudes of people who are sheep without a shepherd, may God help us to do it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.